0: Good morning. It's good to be with you. I'm gonna excuse me. I'm gonna actually, I'm gonna start a timer. I've only done this one time in my life, but I'm gonna start one. I don't know what good it's gonna do, but I'm gonna start one. Um, it's an honor. It's a blessing to be with you again. I, I trust every. Whenever you have somebody come from Pittman, they say it's wonderful to see uh, so many familiar and beloved faces. But it's also good to see. Uh, unfamiliar faces. That's a sign of God growing this church, and so it is a blessing to be here, Uh, a a blessing to bring the Word to you. You are a a congregation that is well-fed and well-taught from the Word. This is a little wobbly, huh? Okay. Um, It's a blessing to be here. Ben serves you so well regularly in the ministry of the Word. be praying for him in his, this time off for him. Uh, be encouraging him. Uh, let him know that uh, you're praying for him, encouraging him. He's a great blessing, and I'm sure he'd be encouraged by uh, your reminding him of the blessing that he is to you in specific ways. Um, I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you've not gone there yet, looking at the bulletin and seeing where we're going. You can turn to Galatians chapter 1. Uh, I was on, some of you know, those who are more closely related to the church in Pittman may know, that I was on a sabbatical, pastoral sabbatical, earlier this year. And um, on that sabbatical, Michelle and I went away for an overnight trip to Queens, New York. Uh, Through a mutual pastor friend, I got connected, I got acquainted with a pastor uh, by the name of Ed Moore, who is the senior pastor of North Shore Baptist Church in Queens. And uh, in just a short time, uh, Ed has become a great blessing in my life. And so he invited us to come up uh, towards the end of March to a, a one-day pastor's conference. Uh, uh, and and he wanted us to come on a Sunday to visit the church's monthly evening service so that we could share in that fellowship and worship and uh, give the congregation there an update on how the sabbatical was going because they'd been praying for us during that time, and uh, it was a delightful uh, evening. Uh, Michelle and I had had talked before we even got there that it was it had been a long weekend, and driving into Queens uh, is not a pleasant experience, uh, and we knew that uh, it's a bit stressful. It was stressful that afternoon. And so we had sort of resolved beforehand, the service, the evening service ended about 7.30. We're going to just go back to our hotel, nice, quiet uh, evening, get some rest, because it's going to be a long day ahead tomorrow, and then the drive back from Queens. So uh, it was a lovely evening of worship on that Sunday evening with them, and we were just about ready to head to the car and go to the hotel and have that quiet, early evening when Ed... Uh, motioned to us and said, come over here, come into my office. And, and so I was like, what is, what, is, what is going on here? So we went into Ed's office, and there was maybe a dozen other people in the office, most of them uh, speakers at the conference that was going to be had on the next day, a few North Shore members, and, and Ed sits us all down. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Ed Moore. Some of you may have seen his sermons. He's a, he's a big guy. He played football at the University of Georgia and he's a wonderful man, but he, he, can, be maybe, he's somewhat, he can be very direct uh, in the way that he can. That's probably because he's been in New York for 30 years. But he, he said, we have a great opportunity, and I wanted to include you all, to go to a high-rise apartment complex where there's just a beautiful uh, rooftop view of the Manhattan skyline. And uh, the church vans are going to be outside in just a minute or two, and I want to know who's in. And he starts going around the, the circle. We're all in a circle, and he's going around, and, and everybody is, is in. Everybody, we're going around. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. That sounds great. Now, we've, we've already communicated we're going to have a quiet, restful, early evening. Again, some of you know us. We like early evenings. Our, our, our lights are not typically on after 9 p.m. Uh, and so we had talked about this, and they're going around, and, 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 I'm, I, and there's nothing appealing to me, really, about going and looking at the Manhattan skyline. But there's something that is not appealing to me about saying no to Pastor Ed, who's invited me to, to 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 come. He's invited us to be a part of this somewhat small group of people, and so we're going around the, the room, and everybody's in, and he gets to us, and he says, "Okay," uh, and and I, I said, "We're we're gonna we're gonna pass." And it was hard to say, we're going to pass. But I, I said, we're going to pass. And, and, and Ed says in his, his, just his, he's a wonderful guy. He, but he just said, hmm, okay. It's a no for the Lazaruses. Hmm. And he, and he moves on. And, he, and, and he, he keeps going around the, the circle. And I'm, 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 I'm trembling inside at this. And, and kind of Michelle and I began to communicate this little conversation while he's turning his attention to other people. And I'm like, you know, it's, I don't. I don't think it'll take that long. It's only you know, and, and we're we uh, you know we talked about this, and he comes back around a minute later. So Lazarus says, you're you're a no. I said we're, no. We're we're in. We're going. And we and it was a night. It was a it was a good it was a good time, uh, but the quiet early night that we had planned on was no more. Uh, we, we got to the hotel late, later than we thought. We did not sleep particularly well, and the next morning, uh, just as we were getting ready to leave the hotel, Michelle starts telling me she's having a hard time seeing. Her vision's a little bit weird. That was the beginning of a migraine. And so during the conference, as the conference was speaking, uh, or as the conference was beginning, Michelle was laid out on the back seat of our car, just trying to have her eyes shut and sleep if possible, because that's all she could do. And I'm sitting there trying to enjoy this conference, knowing that my decision to get us out late is probably what caused her body to just be disrupted and bring about that migraine. Uh, my concern about how I appeared before others uh, did harm to my wife and, and kept me from loving her and doing what was best for her. Now, the, the long-term effects of that uh, misprioritization in that moment were none. Okay? The, uh, Michelle was not mad at me. She was very gracious and kind uh, to me. The migraine was getting... We left early because what are you going to do when your wife's just in the back seat sleeping? Uh, we left at lunchtime and we got back. And even by the time we got back from Queens, it was beginning to feel better. Uh, so th- there were no lasting effects of that poor decision that I made. But what was going on in my soul during those minutes in Pastor Ed's office, uh, what the Word of God calls, and you've heard it mentioned earlier in this service, the fear of man, uh, it can have much greater ministry-endangering, even soul-threatening results. Uh, a, A sinful fear of displeasing other people of coveting the approval and applause of other people is a serious struggle for pastors. It's not only a struggle for pastors, but it is a struggle for pastors. It's it's a hindrance to faithfully serving Christ. Again, not just for pastors, but for all of us who seek to serve the Lord Jesus. And so. Uh, on the tail end of this little series that Ben has been walking through with you on biblical eldership, uh, when I knew I was coming here, uh, I, I thought it just th- this sermon is not exactly a part of the series. If you see, if you see in the bulletin, I thought it was interesting, funny the way it was worded. Um, an additional sermon on biblical leadership in the church. It wasn't really originally a part of the series. It actually wasn't for that purpose when I preached this sermon to our church in Pittman, but when I saw what Ben was doing and I knew what this sermon contained, I thought this could really be a good, useful thing for the church, for the pastors in this church to be exhorted from God's word, for you as a church to understand one particular struggle for pastors, and also because the struggle that pastors do have is a struggle that human beings have. So maybe we probably should have retitled the sermon in the bulletin there, A Struggle for Elders or for Pastors, parentheses, and for everyone else. Uh, And so I want to talk to you from this passage in Galatians, one verse in the book of Galatians that uh, has been really on my mind a lot through the period of sabbatical that I was on, and now back into returning to my pastoral duties. Uh, Galatians 1.10 has been... Uh, A megaphone by which God has blasted this this warning into my conscience that an excessive concern for the approval of other people can do great harm to a ministry and render one uh, really worthless in their service to the Lord Jesus. So uh, I hope you are helped as we think about this one verse of scripture this morning from Galatians 1. Uh, I'm going to pray once more and ask for God's help as we look at the verse, and then I'll read it to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, I thank you for this this dear congregation. I thank you for the opportunity to be here and to address them from Scripture. We pray, Father, that you would help us. Uh, It is uh, the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And so we ask for the working of your Spirit among us, to bring conviction where it's needed, to bring encouragement where it's needed, and to build us up in our most holy faith this morning. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Uh, Galatians 1, verse 10. we will give you a teeny bit of context as we go, but I'm really focusing on this one verse from Galatians 1:10. The Apostle Paul says, "'For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, "'or am I trying to please man?' If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I'll just read it. It It's a short verse. It's one verse. I'll read it to you again. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I was to summarize, I don't know, it's one verse, it doesn't really need a summary, right? But what I would draw out, if I was to restate the main idea, the main point of that verse, it is that an inordinate concern for the the approval of other people is incompatible with serving Jesus faithfully. And to help us think about that fact a little bit more, I want us to consider two uh, two elements, two parts of this uh, passage, one, the problem of pleasing people, and then two, the privilege of serving Christ. So point number one, the problem of pleasing people. Uh, The problem of pleasing people, well, there's a few layers to this problem. The problem of pleasing people is that you can't do it, and at the same time, honestly, sincerely, faithfully serve Jesus. Jesus. That is the point that Paul makes in Galatians 1 verse 10. to, To be a people pleaser and a servant of Jesus, these are mutually exclusive categories. You cannot do both of them. Do you see there in verse 10, he says, if I were still trying to please, if I was living my life to please, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. You cannot do both of them. And it's also a problem because even as that anecdote about my time in Ed Moore's office demonstrates, the the absorption that we have with gaining and keeping the approval of other people is a significant struggle for human beings. And because the pastors of the church are actually human beings, it is therefore a struggle for us pastors, is it not? Uh, Brian if the Lord so does move in the next few months that you become a pastor, I trust this will be a struggle for you as it is for all of us pastors and as it is for all of us humans. Now, what's going on here in Galatians 1? Well, if if you're familiar with the Bible, if you've read Galatians before, you may remember that Paul is writing this letter largely to address a, a doctrinal error that has crept into these churches of Galatia False teachers were seducing the church away from a a single-minded and sincere resting in Jesus and Jesus alone for their justification, for their right standing with God. And false teachers were telling them that they needed to add to Jesus. They needed Jesus plus Jewish rituals and customs in order to truly be faithful to God. And so Paul is very concerned about this And he, from the very outset of this letter, begins to unapologetically refute this error and in so doing demonstrates that he is no people pleaser. You could tell by the way Paul writes at the very beginning of this letter, he is not driven, he is not consumed with a concern about what people think of him. So if if your Bibles are still open, look there at verse 6 of Galatians 2. Uh, He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He says that those who were teaching them falsely and turning them away from the true gospel, he says they're to be accursed. They're under a curse of God. Verse 9, as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you, a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That is not the kind of speech that you'll find in the playbook for how to win friends and influence people. It does not please most people to hear someone pronounce a sentence of eternal damnation upon the teachers that they have recently become enamored with. And we see in this letter, Paul speaking very strongly to them at other points. He says in chapter 3, he calls them, oh, he says, oh foolish Galatians. It does not generally please people when you call them foolish. He says, who has bewitched you? It's like somebody's cast a spell on them. He says in chapter 4, verse 9, they're turning back to weak and worthless things, and they're in danger, chapter 5, verse 1, of submitting themselves again to a yoke of slavery. And he says, actually, in chapter 5, verse 12, that if those people who had led them to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all, if they're so enamored with the Jewish ritual of circumcision, maybe they should go all the way and actually castrate themselves. He, the Bible actually says that, uh, Galatians 5.12. I will not get into the details of that. But I'm just, I'm, it's, an, it's an illustration. This man was speaking hard words. He did not seem to be driven or consumed by a concern to be liked by the people he was addressing. And Paul could speak that way because in his list of priorities, pleasing people was much farther down on the list than serving the interests and purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's mission in life, his whole reason for existence, was to serve Christ, to please Christ, to see Christ, he says in chapter 4, verse 19, to see Christ formed in those whom he was sent to. And, and this, this concern, this mission that Paul had, I think is actually helpful also in clarifying another layer to this problem of pleasing people. And that is that there are some places in Paul's writings where this very same apostle speaks of pleasing people as actually a virtuous thing to be pursued. First Corinthians chapter 10. We just heard in our prayer about this call to do all things to the glory of God. And right after that statement about doing all to the glory of God, Paul says to the Corinthians, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. He says, I, I'm going to, to please everybody in everything that I do. He tells the Romans in Romans chapter 15, verse 2. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. It's like, what's going on, Paul? You tell me you can't please people and serve Christ. Then you're saying, I try to please everybody in everything that I do. And, and you should please your neighbor for their good. Well. The way we resolve that tension is that the kind of pleasing people that Paul encourages has one driving purpose. I wonder if you heard it in the two verses that I just mentioned. The driving purpose of that people pleasing is their spiritual well-being, their good. He says, I'm trying to please everybody in everything I do that they may be saved. I'm willing to set aside my own preferences in order that another person might be saved or that another person might be spiritually built up in the faith. So I was in Queens this past Wednesday preaching at North Shore Baptist Church, and Pastor Ed said I had to wear wear a jacket and tie. And if and if I really would say, well, you know what? I'm not a people pleaser, and I already failed this once with Ed. I'm just gonna not wear a jacket and tie. Well, that would be that would be a violation of what Paul's saying here when he says we should please people. That's his thing. That's his deal. It's important to him. He thinks a man preaching should wear a jacket and a tie. I would be a distraction. I would be a hindrance to people being built up and encouraged there because they'd be like, what's he doing? He's not, he's not wearing what he ought to wear. I'm very happy to be here. I even untucked the shirt. I like preaching this way in a, as opposed to a jacket and a tie. But that was what he wanted to do. I'm willing to set aside my preference. I want to please him so that they would be built up. God honoring people pleasing is putting people's interests above your own. God offending people pleasing is when we put our interests above Christ's interest for that other person. And so if you want to please people, and there are some scriptures that tell us this is a good impulse. If you want to please people, if you really deeply, enduringly want to please people, help people, find themselves more and more in Jesus. I think that's super important in a culture like ours. In a culture like ours, where the very definition of love is to make people feel good about themselves, we need to know, brothers and sisters, and we need to be deeply convinced that you'll please others best when you seek to satisfy them and please them with the unsearchable riches of Christ. When you seek to help another person serve Jesus, Uh, love Jesus, glorify Jesus, be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. When you seek to please them that way, you are doing a good thing. When you seek to please people in a way that really is just about you and them feeling good about you, you are sinning against God and actually against other people too. But to please someone in, in that way, to please them in helping them to love Jesus more, serve Jesus, honor Jesus, be conformed to the character and likeness of Jesus. To please someone in that way will necessarily involve speaking some hard words to other people, words that might arouse their displeasure and their disapproval of you, the messenger. Right? We, We cannot do our work I mean, just think about the basic message that we're called to take to the world in service to King Jesus. The basic message we have to give to people is that they are currently on the broad road that leads to hell. I'm not saying you have to lead every time you begin to speak the gospel to somebody by saying, you know what, you're going to hell. You don't have to lead that way. But at some point, you're not actually faithfully communicating the message of Christ if you don't communicate that reality. That we, that we were made by a good and righteous and almighty God and that we were made to honor him. If, if you're here this morning and you've not put your faith in the Lord Jesus, this is the message that we have for you. That God made you to love him, to honor him, to give thanks to him, to live a life of worship for him. And yet you have so offended him, you have so turned away from his purposes for you, that you deserve from this good God eternal conscious torment. And unless you turn from that self-rule and that self-reliance and receive the pardon that God has provided solely through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, you will, in fact, go to hell. The message that we have to communicate to, to people is an inherently displeasing message to their flesh to their sinful nature. It is to communicate to them that they're so guilty and so helpless before a holy God that only the death of God's son could free them from eternal misery and woe that they have so richly earned for themselves. That is the message of the gospel. It's the wisdom and power of God. It's the whole reason for our being here today to celebrate that grace. But that very same message we're told is the foolish, is, is foolishness to a world that is perishing. And so devotion to that message is not going to win a popularity contest. We heard that earlier from Matthew chapter 10 in those words that we heard uh, Brian read from the Lord Jesus himself. He said, A disciple is not greater than his teacher, and a servant. servant, we're servants of Christ. A servant is not greater than the master. And if they hated Jesus the master, then we can expect, we should expect that people will hate us. Even the, the gospel, to spread the gospel of salvation means dying to the desire for other people's applause. And that's not only true in evangelism. But it's true in helping other people to grow up in the faith as well. Because even those who have been made new in conversion, even those who have truly repented of their sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus, they still have a sinful nature. Did you know this? I hope you know this, you still have, Christians, I still have a sinful nature that is warring against the Spirit's work of transformation in our lives. And that means that even for those of us who are in Christ, who are seeking to grow and build each other up in the church, we have a need to both give and receive some hard words to one another as we seek to see Christ formed in one another. Uh, I, I I can't remember if Ben addressed this particular text in the series on eldership, but in First uh, Thessalonians chapter five verse twelve, I think he mentioned it. I don't know that it was a big point for him, but it says in First Thessalonians chapter five verse twelve that the church is to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. To esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And part of the work is to admonish you. That word, admonish, just did a little study on that word. It means to, it means instruction aimed at changing one's moral disposition with respect to both enlightening and warning the ignorant about potential problems ahead and rebuking those already entangled in wrongdoing. Pastors are meant, are called by God. As part of the work that they're called to, is to do that. More simply put, giving advice and correction designed to change the conduct of a person. You're to esteem them for doing that work. But that's not easy work. It's not easy work to do to give it. It's not easy work to receive it. Like every human being, pastors want to be liked. Pastors want people to think well of them. Uh, They want to have comfortable conversations. Uh, We have a natural resistance to disagreement and the potential for conflict. 20 years ago, when I first walked into one of the Sunday gatherings of Joy Community Fellowship with no aspirations at all of being a pastor... I had no idea how much a part of the pastor's job description is to disappoint people, but regularly that's just what I find myself needing to do. Uh, I'm I'm sitting with a person who deeply feels a problem or a hardship and I I can't do anything to fix it. There's someone who sees something or is frustrated about an aspect, a weakness in our church that I also see and feel, and they're expressing their disappointment in it. Uh, This brother over here has an idea for a new ministry, and I just don't think that's going to be a very good idea. Um, This couple is not really ready to be married. They think they are. They've even got a venue and they've put a down payment on a deposit on it and they should not be getting married. Uh, these parents whose child is, is desiring and shedding tears over the fact that they can't be baptized and they think their child must be baptized and they need to be baptized now and, and we don't think that's a wise thing for that child at this time. Uh, that opinion that you've expressed online is divisive and disruptive to the unity of the church. Uh, that life changing book that you've read, that you're telling everybody out about, actually is filled with some erroneous things, and we could not, in good conscience, recommend or do a study in our church with that book as a guide. Uh, this person is certain that the conflict that they're in that they want you to mediate is the other person's problem and actually you and the other elders can perceive no that's actually you're the one who is at fault that's just this last week that's a slight exaggeration but only a slight one pastoral ministry is full of no-win decisions And because of this, ministry is a miserable place for a pastor who needs everyone's approval. But remember that it's not only pastors who are called to ministry, but actually that it's the pastor's job to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So it's appropriate for all of us who are followers of Jesus to consider how this inordinate craving for the approval of people may be affecting us. How, how, I'm asking you now, I'm asking you a question. How is an inordinate concern for the approval of other people affecting you? Uh, With your husband or your wife or with your children or with fellow church members or neighbors or coworkers? Is your main concern in your interactions... How are they perceiving me? How are they feeling about me? Do they like me? Or is it, how can I be a servant of Jesus to advance his purposes in that person's life? Sadly, I can see that often in my relationships... I am more aware of people's responses to what I'm going to say than I am whether my words are actually pleasing to Jesus. And that's a sin. It's not only a sin, but it's stupid because we can't possibly make everybody happy. And so this Concern to always be pleasing to people is an exhausting treadmill that just burns us out because it can't be done. Uh, One author writing on this subject of people-pleasing has said, there may be no more powerful argument to persuade you to stop seeking the approval of man than that of the profound folly, futility, and utter impossibility of trying to please all of the people, even some of the time. You can't do it. And I do think that is a persuasive argument. But I would like to suggest another argument that I think is even more persuasive to help you to stop seeking the approval of other people. It's the one that I've been reflecting upon much uh, during my sabbatical. And it is the privilege of serving Christ. If you want to overcome an unhealthy and inordinate concern with pleasing people... Consider the privilege of serving Christ. That is point number two. That's how Paul resists the temptation to live for the approval of man. He says, Galatians 1 verse 10, If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I, I could not find an English translation that translated it this way, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but... Uh, The original language here on this verse, it actually front loads and emphasizes the word Christ specifically. A more literal way to translate it would be, If I were still trying to please man, Christ's servant, I would not be. It's a little Yoda-like in how it sounds, okay? But that's, that's that's how it sounds in the emphasis of the original. If I were still trying to please man, Christ's servant, I would not be. Paul belonged to Christ. And this consumed how he thought about himself and his life and his responsibility to other people in ministry. Everything, always, only for Christ. Here we go, Noah. Kids, have you seen the movie Sing To? Anyone, kids, sing to? Yes? Not the original, not the first sing. The sing, sing, two. At the beginning of sing two, there's there's this picture. The the, the band, the the the, cr- the group, they're doing their their big performance, and uh, the crowd is going crazy and they're loving it. But but he's a koala. Is that correct, Buster Moon? Buster Moon the crowd is loving it. They're going insane, but the director of the show, Buster Moon, he is not paying attention to all the people who are cheering. He's only focused on one person. Well, it's a dog, okay? But you, you've seen... Uh, Suki Lane. He's, very, he's, only looking, he's only got eyes for Suki Lane. She's the talent coordinator for uh, Mr. Crystal. And, and so... Buster Moon, no, he doesn't care about anybody else, but he just wants to know what does Suki Lane think about this show? The only opinion that mattered was hers. And that's a little bit strange, okay, but that's, that's a little bit of a picture of how the apostle Paul lived his life. Anybody, all the cheers of the world or all the hatred of the world, he really didn't care. It was one person he was focused on. Did he, did he have this person's approval? And that person was Christ, was the Lord Jesus. It was Jesus' opinion that mattered. That's what it meant for Paul to be a servant of Christ. And we too, though it's different, Paul is an apostle, we are not, but we too are servants of Christ, right? The Bible puts that title on us as well. In Revelation 22, when it speaks of nothing being accursed and the world set right, it says his servants will worship him. We are servants of Christ. And to take that title for ourselves is to affirm that we're no longer our own, but that we are the purchased property of another. We are Christ's slaves. We are his subjects. We are submitted to him in total, exclusive, undivided allegiance. And that's really the only reasonable way to respond to one who has so generously and graciously and selflessly served us. Jesus, the the Christ who Paul so eagerly served, Jesus was himself the perfectly pure servant of God who was devoted to the Father's will in complete, undivided loyalty and devotion. It was of Jesus that the psalmist was speaking in Psalm 40 when he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. Your law is within my heart. That's the word about Jesus. It was in his heart always to do the will of his father. And that will often put Jesus at odds with other people and their opinions of him. It made him the object of scorn and disdain and misunderstanding and hatred from other people. Jesus came to be despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief and he was despised and rejected by people and acquainted with that grief because he did not live asking the question in every situation, how can I make this person like me? How can I make them feel good about me? Even Jesus' enemies actually could identify that about him they came to him this is recorded in matthew 20:22 20, some of his adversaries trying to trap him is probably speaking this word really more in flattery but they got it exactly right when they said to jesus teacher we know that you are true and teach the way of god truly and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances literally you don't look at people's faces Jesus did not walk around. Jesus did not teach. I wonder, oh, that person doesn't look like they're very happy with what I said. Let me try to say something to change their countenance toward me. He wasn't like that. He told people what they needed to hear all the time. Even when he hung on the cross, his enemies were mocking him, right, and taunting him. Come down if you're the Christ. Come down from the cross and show yourself, and we'll believe in you. And do you realize, if Jesus had been a slave to the opinions and applause of other people, he could have done that. He could have said, I'll show you, and every one of us would be in hell right now. But instead of proving himself to other people and pleasing them and catering to their expectations and desires. He stayed on that cross and he stayed on the cross in obedience to his father and out of love for us and out of the jealous, the consuming desire that he had to save us and bring us into a right relationship with God because he had come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many when we had aroused God's righteous wrath for worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator, when we had treasonously usurped his throne and preferred our own rule and glory above his own, that is the real issue when it comes to people-pleasing. It seems like such a tame thing. Like, Why why are we making such a big deal about people-pleasing? The big deal about people-pleasing is that it's not really about other people. It's about what other people think of me. It's about me being more concerned about me than I am about Jesus. That's what makes it so outrageous. That's what makes it so offensive. But when I had turned away from living my life for the hallowing and praise of his name, and when I had terminated, and you had done it too, and and some of you, if you're still not a Christian, you are still living this way, living your life about you It's an outrageous offense that deserves eternal punishment. And yet when you were in that condition, Jesus, though he could have come down from the cross, Jesus stayed on the cross so that he would endure in his own body the eternal separation from God that we deserved so that he could rescue all those who would trust in him. In in staying there on the cross, in giving his life for the ungodly, Jesus has cleansed all who believe from the guilt and tyranny of sin. And he has done so, so that we might serve him in fear and gladness all the days of our lives. That's what we need to overcome a sinful concern about appearances about how we appear to other people it's to see the love of christ to taste the love of christ and to be amazed at the privilege that we might be called his servant that's the way paul himself lived his life he says in galatians 2 he he tells us part of his secret about how he was just not concerned about the appearance and and approval of other people. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so to be freed from the fear of man, we must cultivate the right, proper, heart-thrilling fear of the Lord. A trembling joy and awestruck wonder at what a gracious king and savior he is and what an extraordinary pliv- privilege it is to be Christ's servant. That's the fuel that fires faithful service to Jesus. Jesus. Though I should be wallowing in a dunghill right now, in the misery and filth and squalor of my sin, the Lord Jesus laid down his life and was raised up on the third day and he sent his spirit and he's made me alive and he's called me into his service that I might live my days declaring the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what fires all the love that we would have for other people. The giving and receiving of hard words, yes, that's part of it. But all the ways that we give and love and serve and sacrifice to see Christ formed in other people, it's driven by this wonder. We're servants of Christ. Kids. Kids, I don't know what you might want to be when you grow up. But I want you to know that there's nothing greater that you could be than to be a servant of the Lord. Uh, You may have experienced, kids, what it's like already at a young age. You may have felt what it's like to get upset or to get angry when somebody says something mean about you or when somebody ignores you or when somebody doesn't invite you to the party. Or they don't pay attention to you the way they want them to. And that's hard. It's hard when those kinds of things happen. It's hard for us adults too. But kids, I want you to know that there's a good thing that God does for us even in that pain. And it is to show us that we should not put our hope in what other people think about us. But that there is one, the Lord Jesus, who made you for himself... And he never changes at all. And he loved you by dying for you. And he did that so that you could spend your days happily serving him. We we waste our time in a lot of ways. But you will never waste a moment of your life, kids. You will never waste your life, a moment of your life, adults, when you spend it serving the Lord Jesus. So I, I trust, beloved, that if you've been captivated like Paul by Christ's love. You, you want to make it your aim to please him. You want to serve him. But I also trust that an unhealthy and persistent craving for the esteem and approval of other people may be a serious threat to your devoted service to King Jesus. So to help you fight this good fight of faith, I'm still trying to fight this thing myself to help you fight this fight. I want to conclude by offering you six Points of application. That is right. I just said six points of application. They will be brief. And let me give you a prefatory word about how to hear application. Because I, I don't know about this church, but I know our church. And there are some people you hear application and you just feel like now I'm going to heap a weight of to do on you for the coming week. And I don't want you to hear application that way. Hear application not as a bunch of things that you must do to be a good Christian, hear it as just some possible ways that may be of help to you in growing in this and maybe there's just one of them there that's helpful to you and that's great maybe none of them are helpful and you could just think about jesus some more while i'm talking about this but some of you may be helped by some of these recommendations and encouragements and there are six of them and they will for the most part be brief first uh, read, spend the next three months reading through all four Gospels and just take note of Jesus's way of offending people, saying hard things to people, and just generally being disinterested in the popularity and applause of other people. If you would say, so take five minutes a day to read one chapter of the Gospels, Just start with Matthew and just go right through John. It will take you 89 days. That's five minutes a day to read a chapter of the Gospels. And just take note of Jesus and the way that he lived. Jesus is much more than an example to us. He is our Savior. You will read when you read the four Gospels how he laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice for you. But the Word of God does say that in beholding his glory, we are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. And so consider looking at Jesus in the four Gospels and specifically noting how frequently he did uh, ruffle the feathers of people and offend people and disregard the approval of people in truly loving people. Number two, this week, tell someone who does not know the Lord that you love Jesus. And tell them why you love him. Just deal with that fear of man just head on and just tell somebody. Tell a neighbor. Tell the mailman. Maybe we should tell the mailman. Tell somebody that you love Jesus. And tell them what it is about Jesus that you love about him. What do you have to lose in doing that? And what do you have to gain in doing that? We listen, we listen to a lot of people tell us about things that they love. They tell us about relationships with, with a spouse or children. They tell us about their relationships. They tell us about their sports teams. They tell us about their movies and their music and their restaurants and favorite dish that they have. Let's get in on that, and let's tell them about the one we love most and why. Number three, this is an Ed Moore. I'm stealing this from Ed Moore, but I'm adapting it slightly. Uh, use expressive words with obnoxious frequency, in order to show honor to other people. Use expressive words with obnoxious frequency, in order to show honor. Um, What's this young man's name in the Abercrombie shirt? Kobe? Kobe, you were such an encouragement to me earlier when we were singing that song satisfy us with your love it was such a joy to hear you singing so joyfully and loudly and I trust that really pleased God too thank you for blessing me today that's what I mean do that for each other God's word says we're to outdo one another in showing honor I've heard it said that's a holy competition and we're all winners outdo one another in showing honor When someone does something or says something or acts in a way that exhibits godly character, that is honorable. And we do honor to God and we bless that person when we take note of it. The principle is, if you see something, say something. If you see something, say something. And it may seem odd in a sermon about this, a fear of man and pleasing people. That's like, I don't understand exactly how that connects, Uh, John Piper has said, when our mouths are empty of praise for others, it's probably because our hearts are full of love for self. And I think that's well said. And, and it's precisely that issue, that love of self, that really is underneath the concern that we have, the consuming desire that we have that people be liking us and, and making much of us. So try to kill that by training yourself to look away from yourself, seeing the good that God is doing in other people and celebrating that good. Use expressive words with obnoxious frequency in order to show honor to other people. Number four, pray That Joy Community Fellowship of Williamstown would cultivate a relational environment in which it is normal and expected for members to be intimately involved in each other's lives. I'm not saying that isn't happening at all. I'm saying pray that it would happen more and more. May, May Joy Community Fellowship of Williamstown be a congregation where it is normal to ask and answer questions like, How's your soul? how are you doing? No, like really, how are you doing? What have you been reading in God's word that is encouraging you? Uh, What's a challenge or burden that you're facing that I could be praying for? Uh, What's a truth about God that you've been having a hard time believing lately? Pray that Asking and answering questions like that would just be more and more and more regular. Again, this is another way of just training you to value and prioritize the spiritual well-being of one another. And so possibly in the midst of that, stimulating some of those hard conversations that need to happen in a less confrontational way pray that this be a place where it's normal and expected for members to be intimately involved in each other's lives. Uh, fifth, invite godly correction into your life. Invite godly correction into your life. Uh, on the tail end of my sabbatical, uh, some, a few of you know this, but I, you know, it's, pastoral sabbaticals are nice. My, my pastoral sabbatical was partially like this would be a nice thing to do and partially like this guy desperately needs help. Uh, he's not in a good place. My soul was not in a good place. My my concern for ministry, my ministry was not in a good place. There was more. You heard last week about Hebrews 13. There was an increasing groaning in my soul in the work of ministry. There was a diminishing joy in the ministry. And I took four months off from ministry. And at the tail end of that, I I opened up myself to the other elders to seek their feedback on my life and ministry. And I asked them specifically, I said, please tell me, what it is that frustrates you or concerns you about my leadership in the church, And I asked them how they would like to see me growing in the next year. And that was difficult to do. Uh, they were honest with me. They wrote me a long letter, and then we got together and we had a long meeting to talk about it. And it was difficult. It, it hurt in some ways. I don't know that I, and I said this to them, I said this when I preached this to our, our, our church as well. I didn't necessarily agree with every single thing that they had identified, but it was good. They were loving me. And I think that my invitation to seek that from them freed them up to be very honest with me and to resist the understandable but sinful inclination to try to please me by making me feel good about myself and maybe not telling me things that they thought I needed to hear but maybe didn't think I could handle. One way to kill the fear of man is to ask brothers and sisters in Christ, do you see anything in me that concerns you? Do you see any way in me, anything in me that you think may be displeasing to me? that would be hindering me from serving Jesus most faithfully. Now, if anybody asks you that question, you should be very delicate and careful in how you answer that question. Galatians 6 says, if we see someone caught in sin, we should restore them with a spirit of gentleness. But those are, that's a good question to ask. Because if we have no relationships where those kinds of conversations are happening we're in very dangerous spiritual territory. So I would encourage you, particularly members of this church, I would encourage you to ask your pastors. Like when they reach out to you, if you're doing a visit with them or they're getting prayer requests from you because they're going to be praying for you at an upcoming elders meeting, when they check in with you to see how you're doing, I want to encourage you to ask them, do you see anything in me that is displeasing? that you think may be displeasing to the Lord, any ways that you think I could be growing in my devotion to the Lord, I think that will serve your pastors well and it will serve your own souls well because your pastors may see something in you that it's, it's not exactly a sin, but they, it's, it doesn't seem like it's maybe really wise either. And they, they maybe wanna say something to you about it, but they're not sure how you would receive it. And when you ask them, when you just say, I want to grow, I love you, I trust you, you're an overseer of my soul, I want to hear what you have to say, everyone wins there. And I know these men, and Brian is one of them as well. They will steward those questions very carefully and generously and gently. Lastly, I I was aiming at 55 minutes. It's 55 minutes and 50 seconds right now. That's close. What I'm saying is I, I, I got close. Number six, think often of the day of judgment. Think often of the day of judgment. We sang of it earlier, and I'm just now trying to apply it to this particular matter. The Apostle Paul tells us another secret of his. He did look back much. He lived his life boasting in the cross, remembering the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for us. He also lived with a view toward that final day. He said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And that eternal perspective, that thought, that concern for the last day led Paul to this conviction regarding the the criticisms and complaints of other people. He said it to the Corinthians, he had a tense relationship with the Corinthians. They were not enamored with him. They didn't think he was eloquent enough. They began to talk trash about him. And yet he loved them and he ministered to them. And he, in addressing this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. He said, in fact, I don't even judge myself. Paraphrase, I don't really care that much about what you think about me, and it actually doesn't even really matter what I think about me. He said, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. That's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 10 in that passage. He said, what's hidden is going to be revealed. And I want to just tell you, I just want to assure you that on that day when you stand before him, to give an account for how you have lived your life. Now we know in Christ, it's, it's, it's all grace. I mean, no, we could not stand on that day apart from the grace of God and the blood of Christ cleansing us from our sins. But there in some way that we don't totally understand, there's going to be a reckoning. Our, our lives, what we do and how we live, it matters. And I, I could tell you when you stand before Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, exalted above all nations, who shed his blood to rescue you and bring you into his eternal kingdom, when you stand before him, it will be a very small thing. On that day, what people thought of you, whether people liked you or not, whether you had the applause of other people or the frowns of other people, it will be, as one hymn puts it, it will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace on that day. Commenting on those words in Matthew 10, 26. Let me remind you of those words in Matthew 10, 26. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Thinking of that that verse, J.C. Ryle wrote this. Those who try to do good must look forward with patience to the day of judgment. They must be content in this present world to be misunderstood misrepresented, vilified, slandered, and abused. They must not cease to work because their motives are mistaken and their characters fiercely assailed. They must remember continually that all will be set right at the last day. The secrets of all hearts shall then be revealed. The purity of their intentions, the wisdom of their labors, and the rightfulness of their cause shall at length be made manifest to all the world. So let us work on steadily and quietly. Men may not understand us and may vehemently oppose us, but the day of judgment draws nigh. We shall be righted at last. This is the hope of faithful pastors and this is the hope of every sincere follower of Jesus, all because of the great and unmerited kindness that he's shown to us. So let us all work steadily and quietly, whether applauded or derided for the glory and honor of the one who has so richly and extravagantly served us. Thank you for your listening and your attentiveness. It's been a joy to bring God's word to you, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace to us in Jesus. We pray that you would help us in this particular struggle with uh, being excessively concerned and consumed with the approval of other people, it is a serious threat to our being faithful and serving Jesus. Help us to be so captivated by Jesus, so amazed at his grace and his glory, at his condescending love, at his holiness, at his uh, fiery wrath that will be shown on that last day to those who are his enemies. Help us to be so amazed at Jesus, that we would give ourselves even to being displeasing to other people that we might be found faithful on that last day. Oh, Father, use our ransomed lives in any way you choose and let our song forever be, my only boast is you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen? Okay. Amen.